Kia ora, I'm Georgina Campbell. It's February 22 and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. Former Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister Grant Robertson announced earlier this week he is leaving politics. He is the latest member of the Labour Party who has chosen greener pastures over three years of being back in opposition. So, with Grant Robertson out the door, where does that leave Labour as it looks to rebuild? And are the remaining MPs strong enough to hold the government to account? Today on The Front Page, New Zealand Herald political editor Claire Trevett joins us to dig into Robertson's legacy and Labour's future. Claire, how big of a shock is it that Grant Robertson is leaving? It wasn't a shock so much. The writing was on the wall pretty much from the moment that Jacinda Ardern decided to step down and Robertson realised he didn't have the appetite for the top job anymore. Once you've made that decision, you've basically decided you're on your way and the only question really was around the timing. So I don't think anyone was that surprised. Most people were expecting him to leave sometime, you know, within the first six months or a year of them going into opposition once he'd bedded them in back into opposition a little bit. So, yes, it is quite a loss for them, not so much in the finance area because they have people who can step up there, but more for his impact, basically, and his experience and his political now. So he loved the politics of it all a lot more than Jacinda Ardern did, and he could be very effective at it. His roast of his rivals in Parliament are pretty famous. He's very good in question time. He knew what he was doing and he'd become a pretty crucial guiding hand for a lot of them, you know, a bit of a spine of that caucus. And now they they kind of have to learn to stand alone without him. I mean, no one is irreplaceable in politics. You see that over and over again, no matter how bad you think it'll be when someone leaves. So, yeah, a bit of a hit for them, but they were all expecting it. And so there'll be some adjustments and sadness and stuff like that. The opportunity to serve in the roles that I have is not something uh, that many people get to do and I've always recognised it as an enormous privilege and so in addition to thanking uh, the Labour team I want to thank um, all New Zealanders for that opportunity. I also want to acknowledge Barbara Edmonds um, who will be taking over from me as Labour's finance spokesperson. Barb is an incredible person, uh, someone with great community connections and a terrific mind for numbers as well. Barbara Edmonds has been announced as the new finance spokesperson. What can you tell us about her background and her path to politics? She's still fairly new as an MP. So she came in in 2020 and became a minister in 2023. So she's had limited time in that job. But she is extremely capable and knows pretty well how the place works. So like Nicola Willis, the finance minister, Barbara had been a ministerial staffer before. She knows kind of how ministerial offices work and how politics works. And she's no shrinking violet. She'd worked for Judith Collins when she was at IRD and then um, for Stuart Nash through a lot of the Labour government's time. She was pretty crucial in the firearms reforms after the mosque attacks. And she's also one of the few finance spokespeople in history who actually has a background in the finance area because she's been a tax lawyer and and is a tax specialist. So almost more critical to that was what Robertson pointed to, which was Barbara's life 
outside of work and before politics. So she's Samoan. Her parents moved to New Zealand when she was a child. She's talked about growing up in a benefit-dependent household, and she has eight children of her own. So she's pretty grounded. And Robertson pointed to her most valuable quality as being the ability to look through the crap. And that ability to have perspective is pretty important in that role. She can also be quite funny. I'm sure she'll have some nervous moments as she sets about it because it is pretty hard replacing someone like Grant. But once her confidence builds, I think she should grow into the role pretty well. It also kind of helps that she is such a new face because most of National's kind of attacks against Labor have been on Grant Robertson's record as finance minister and Edmonds can't really be held personally responsible for those. So it kind of helps in that regard. She won't be expected to fill exactly the same role as Robertson. So he wasn't only used for finance questions. He was used more generally in general debates and in question time, like almost a shadow leader of the house kind of role. He knew the standing orders inside out and all that kind of stuff. She's not up to that level, but it also won't be her job. Her main job will be initially at least is holding her ground on finance and looking for areas to prosecute national and Labor will think that there are plenty because there are plenty. Um, and that's where her focus will very much be, will be on Willis rather than in prosecuting nationals' moves on finance and where they're getting the money from and the cuts and all that kind of stuff, how they're paying for their tax cuts. And she should be more than capable of doing that or she probably wouldn't have got the job. Hipkins has appointed Barbara Edmonds into the all-important and coveted finance role, a tax expert, the first female Labor finance spokesperson. And the reason why I came here was to provide a voice for those who are most vulnerable. So I ask myself that every day, and that's what fuels me. Does a new finance spokesperson open the door for a rethink of Labor's stance on the likes of a capital gains tax? Or is Labour leader Chris Hipkins keeping that off the table for now? Well, he's put everything back on the table now. So they're going to do a whole review of their tax policy. So wealth tax, capital gains, it's all back up there again. That caused big reactions in Labour toward the end of last year when Hipkins made his decision to pull the, the tax switch off and where they were proposing to introduce a wealth tax to pay for income tax cuts. A lot in caucus were upset about that and think he made a mistake. So they're looking at all that again. Barbara's background in tax will be very handy in that regard. And in that way, she's a bit more of a specialist in the topic. But I would say that her views and and Grant Robertson's views on it were fairly well aligned. Like she hasn't said personally whether she favours wealth taxes or capital gains taxes or anything, and she shouldn't be because it's her job to decide whether or not there should be policy. But yeah, it's all in the air again. So she'll be in charge of coming up with that new tax package without the baggage that the others might have of having taken a strong stance on it in the past. A One News variant poll this week shows support for the coalition government is holding strong. So how does Labor get a look in? It's a very hard time to be an opposition party and they'll all tell you that the first term outside once you come out of government is always hard because all the attention is on what the new government is doing and they're doing a lot. So opposition leaders can either leap around and do a say crazy stuff to get themselves noticed or kind of accept that most of the interest is on the other side and pick their opportunities 
more um, moderately and where they think they can have more impact. Hipkins has kind of taken the latter approach. He has been criticised for being a bit too low-key, and he probably has been to this point. There is a kind of vibe that they haven't quite come back from holiday yet, or they've only come back this week rather than coming back early and coming out all guns blazing. Whether or not that'll hurt him in the long run, it's debatable. Either way, the Simon Bridges approach was the first one to kick up Bobsy Dye and seek attention and stuff that doesn't necessarily help you. Both approaches, it's very hard in that first term because Caucus sits there and gets grumpy and decides you should be doing the other way unless your polling goes up. So, yeah, it's not an ideal time for them. There is a lot of ammo around for them to take blows at and they need to start stepping up on it more. But it's kind of too early to say whether or not they're just sleeping in opposition or not. I mean, Grant had indicated to me um, not long after Jacinda took over as leader that he thought that 2023 would probably be his last election, whether we won or lost the election. I think he'll be remembered as an outstanding New Zealand Minister of Finance because of the amazing job he did of leading the country through the global pandemic, among other things. In that same poll, Hipkins has seen his popularity drop to 15%. Can he turn things around or is it just a waiting game for someone else to put themselves forward to replace him? He's probably fairly realistic about this. So at the moment he's he's publicly taking solace from Labour's party vote, holding up such as it is around 28-29, which is just above their election result. And he's saying that that's what matters rather than his preferred PM rating. His preferred PM still isn't bad, bad, like under 10 is bad, bad. And I do recall Hipkins actually ridiculing Simon Bridges when Bridges' preferred PM rating was bad, bad, even though National's party vote was above 40. So (laughs) Hipkins is well aware that it's never a good thing if your preferred PM rating is tanking, basically. There are advantages for the incumbent because you are the PM. So if he can't lift up the party poll at least, then things will start to get a lot hotter for him. I would guess that he's hoping he can turn things around and still thinks that maybe he can. And he is, in the same way that Bridges was, a good scrapper in opposition. Like some leaders just aren't that good at opposition. Luxon is probably one of them. He wasn't great as an opposition leader. Jacinda wouldn't have been a good opposition leader because they don't have their kind of scrapper in them to do that kind of a job. But the departure of Grant will have hit him quite hard. It was Grant and Jacinda who more or less told Caucus that Hipkins was their best option, and both of them have now left. So he won't be unrealistic about his chances, but still there's nothing that we can pick up on at the moment, and until support starts moving around or you know talk starts rising around one or two specific other names, he'll know he's pretty safe. Who would be your pick in terms of some of the possible contenders to step up and lead the party into the 2026 election if it's not Chris Hipkins? Yeah, well, Hipkins could hold it, of course, if that doesn't happen and if he comes out fighting. So I'm I'm not completely ruling that out. There are still a few of the old hands around um, and those who might fancy it include the likes of his deputy, Carmel Cipollone, David Parker might want to have another tilt. I don't know if he'd have much luck at it, though. And Megan Woods is another one of the pretty experienced ones. The more likely options are possibly the next-gen, kind of what I call the next-gen viable options. Uh, there's Kieran McAnulty, who has who's ruled it out, saying that it's not a job he wants to do. But Jacinda Ardern also ruled it out until she was told she was the only viable option. 
and if things start to develop where it's looking as if one person is the only viable option, it's pretty hard to say no when your caucus comes to you and says, you are our best chance, you need to do it. It's hard to say no to, basically. Aisha Vera could also be in that mix up there. Penny Henare, he might fancy his chances as well, but I don't know if other people would fancy his chances. So it's still a relatively open field within limits. The main question you have to ask is, when you look at Robertson and his uh, tenure, who wrecked the economy most? There's your question. Who wrecked the economy most, Muldoon or Robertson? As much as National are playing to the crowd over what they've been left with, it's actually real, and in some cases it's dangerous. This country is in a number of fiscal areas. It's in a shocking state. Finally, Claire, what do you think Grant Robertson's legacy will be? A legacy foiled by events and politics. I think Grant's starting goal was to try and reverse the perception that that National were the better custodians of the economy. And he started off with all his rules about debt and, you know, not spending too much and all that kind of stuff. But he also wanted some reforms and they all got interrupted. So COVID-19 and the cyclone in particular put a kibosh on the full rollout of his wellbeing budget and he's listed that as a regret. And then at the end there was some pure politics when Hipkins Reset pulled the pin on Robertson's kind of beloved legacy project of the income insurance scheme, which was whereby everyone pays a levy and then if they get made redundant, there's basically some backup payments for them to tide them over till they can get a new job. And his plan for a tax switch, that campaign tax switch they wanted to run on, which Hipkins pulled the pin on. And so instead Grant had to pretend he was a champion of GST off fruit and veg. So I would say he leaves with some frustrations that he didn't achieve what he wanted to achieve on the reforms side of Labour, because Labour does like to reform. I think he would still consider himself to be a very competent and capable finance minister during the COVID period in terms of his side of that job, which was the money side rather than the health side. And he points to the wage subsidies, for example, as holding people's livelihoods together and keeping them in jobs and basically holding holding things together until they could hold themselves together again. And he's probably right about that, actually, on that regard. Yes, I think that his legacy will not be as great as he would have wanted and hoped it would be. Thanks so much for joining us, Claire. That's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. The Front Page is produced by Ethan Sills and sound engineer Paddy Fox. I'm Georgina Campbell. Subscribe to The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts and tune in tomorrow for another look behind the headlines.